This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies ed tech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and it helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. TL Talk Radio, Season 3, Episode 14. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 14 of TL Talk Radio, a regular podcast with Lynn Funy-Hatton and Randy Ziegenfuss, where our goal is to engage you in learning, motivate you to share your work, and inspire you to lead for the change we need in schools for the digital age. I'm Randy Ziegenfuss. And I'm Lynn Funy-Hatton. Good afternoon, Randy. Good afternoon, Lynn. So today we're speaking with Ulrich Bozer, author of Learn Better, Mastering the Skills for Success in Life, Business, and School, or How to Become an Expert in Just About Anything. Ulrich is a senior fellow at the Center for American Progress and writes about education. He's also founding director of the Center Science of Learning Initiative. His research and writing have been featured everywhere from The Tonight Show with Jay Leno to the front page of USA Today. His work on school spending made headlines around the country and helped inspire initiatives to improve the effectiveness of education dollars. Ulrich has also developed legislation, advised political campaigns, and served as managing director of the center's education team. Prior to working at the center, Ulrich was a contributing editor for U.S. News and World Report, the founding editor of the online criminal justice magazine, The Open Case, and a research coordinator at the newspaper, Education Week. Ulrich is also the author of The Leap, The Science of Trust and Why It Matters. Welcome to the show, Ulrich. Thanks so much for having me. Really excited. Yeah, so are we, too, because this whole idea of learning is obviously the business that we're in, but it's something that in recent times in our school district, we have been much more intentional about having conversations about. And one of the things as leaders in schools that we've uh, come to understand is that a lot of what we do in school uh, could probably be improved by having a better understanding of actually what is learning and, and what are the things that can promote uh, good learning. So in the beginning of your book, uh, one of the phrases that I caught on to was you said, I became fascinated with learning and we've become equally fascinated with learning as well. Um, Great, so this is gonna be a fun conversation. I, it will be, it will be. So every good book has a good big question behind it. So what is the big question behind Learn Better? Yeah, so I would say the big question is, you know, how exactly do we learn, right? And I think for many of us, there's this idea that learning uh, is sort of like computers, right? Like information flows past us and we just sort of get it. But that's not really how learning works, right? We need to make sense of uh, material. We need to really engage it. 
And you know, once you start thinking of learning that way, I think it really changes the way you you understand learning. So one way I, I try and give an example of this is, uh, this is a question for both of you, Randy and, and Lynn, the um, immaculate conception. Uh, <laughs> who, who, does it, who does it feature, right? Who is, who is it really about? Come on, Boy, man, you guys Catholic. are-, are, are I'm not answering that question. <laughs> Look, when I was asked this question, you know, by a researcher, what was really surprising to me was that I was really sure that the answer was, was, was Jesus, right? Right, um, right. You know, I think that's, you know, what many people believe. Uh, it turns out that it's really about Mary. It's Mary being born to her parents. That is the, the immaculate conception. And, you know, if you, right. And, and so what's interesting about this, right, is that the more that you believe that you're right, the more that you believe that the answer is Jesus, the more that you learn. In other words, the more that you really make an error, but the, really, the more that you are, really make a big mistake, the more that you learn. And I think it, it really shows that learning is sense-making, right? If we were all computers, if we learn like computers, right? Mistakes are mistakes. That means the machine isn't functioning. When in learning, uh, sometimes mistakes can really help you learn. And actually, the bigger the mistake, the more that you learn and uh, then really became interested in, in what the new science of learning is and uh, what uh, can it do to, to help us really improve, um, you know, that process of, of making sense of things and, and really in the ultimate uh, becoming an expert. So this idea of fail forward and being curious about what you've done and um, trying to ask more questions and prove or disprove what you're thinking. And, and I'm joking about the Immaculate Conception. I hope neither one of my priests is listening to this. <laughs> but there's no way I was guessing and getting that wrong. You got to understand me. <laughs> so that's a great segue for the beginning of our, our conversation because Randy and I are um, doing a lot of reading and a lot of learning from a lot of experts um, in education across the states and learning about other systems and what they're you know, what they've implemented in terms of change and, and learner-centered learning and leadership. And um, in essence, how do, we, how do we learn better as individuals? How do we learn better collectively as an organization? Um, how do we learn better as a system in education? And we realize that we have so much um, to, to learn. And you outline a very systematic approach to developing expertise. Um, can you talk with us a little bit about a brief overview of the key steps in that approach? Really, the book argues that learning is itself a, a process, right? And it's, you know, for a long time, we thought like learning to learn was really intelligence, right? And, you know, that's what IQ tests are really supposed to measure, right? Your smarts, your raw uh, capacity uh, or raw intellectual capacity. And what we now know is, is that, you know, certain strategies are much more effective than than others, right? So one of my favorite examples is there's just an incredible amount of research on this idea of what's called the testing effect, right? So if you give students a, a text and then you tell them to sort of, you know, reread or just study the text, you know, they'll retain about 20% more. But if you give them a, a piece of paper um, and say, you know, just simply recall the text, right? And, and write what you recall. Uh, in some cases, they'll return two or three times more. And this, um, you know, this sort of testing effect also can show higher um, order thinking skills, you know, better than doing concept maps, which we know are really effective. So, you know, the book, um, you know, tries to weave some of these strategies of, of more engaged, meaningful forms of learning with this process, right, that sort of starts about, you know, you need to figure out what you're going to learn, you need to extend that learning, really sort of, you know, be hands-on about it, as well as reflect in that, you know, this process becomes uh, very effective, specifically, right, for kind of that self-regulation, what we want students uh, to be able to do, right, is to, to learn uh, on their own. 
So as you were writing this book and learning about learning, how did you tap into some of those ideas? How did that influence how you learned about this subject of learning? I feel like, you know, Randy, we could just be like, you're learning about learning about learning and this could you know, go on <laughs> at, at, at infinitum. But yeah, I mean, you know, to me, what was most surprising and, you know, when you mentioned, you know, learning from systems and learning from other schools, you know, what fascinated me in many ways is that we've left some of what's really key about learning behind and that sort of memory, right? That, uh, you know, a lot of what we learn needs to be committed to, to memory. Uh, there's this idea out there, right, that if you Google something, uh, you don't really need to learn. And that's really not true, right? I mean, facts are the real kind of basic for higher order thinking. And so a lot of this research just sort of comes out of the, um, you know, memory research. And so you see things like, you know, quizzing yourself, self-explaining are, are just really uh, effective. Uh, when we see a lot of research on very common practices, like highlighting, reading, underlining, you know, really not a whole lot of evidence for them. What's interesting to me is that I feel like we're often siloing um, learning and that when you start thinking about learning in this way of like sense making and really engaging, you know, it, it changes your view. So, you know, one example that I have is I was recently, you know, preparing for a speech and I noticed that I was just like rereading my notes. I don't know if you guys have ever done this before speech. Mm -hmm. like you're comforted by that. Instead, I was like, wow, I wrote a whole book, like making an argument for more active forms of learning. When I mean active is like mentally engaged. So I like put away my notes or, you know, another example of this is my wife, you know, gives me instructions as many wives do, uh, or, you know. Easy, know, easy over easy. there. Um, <laughs> it happens at work. It happens at work too, right? Hey, 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 easy over there. <laughs> Easy. It's just repeat backs, right? Someone gives you instructions. Randy, you know, gave me instructions on to how to open the software at the beginning, um, and to repeat them back is a form of active learning, right? You're sort of you know making sense of it, making sure that you're able to you know go beyond just sort of listing the details and, and provide some context with it. So, you know, this these forms of you know active learning are something that we can apply in all sorts of ways. So, you know, it's interesting. You know, to your question, Randy, is I ended up applying these to, to all sorts of things. Um, but also just, you know, got excited about, you know, what this means about how our, our brains work. Yeah. And I think one of the things from reading the book too, is you become much more um, aware of what you, strategies you're using and are they effective? Are they those ineffective ones that you mentioned? So you talk in the, in the book about the, the value of supporting learners as they go through the stages of learning. So what kinds of strategies, can you share a few strategies that um, teachers or even parents might use to support learners as they move back and forth between the, the stages of learning? I'll just choose one strategy that I think might sure. be a little bit uh, new to your listeners, and that's this idea of uh, interleaving or mixing it up. So if you were to give, actually, let's let's have another little quiz. I know Lynn is not you excited. Like, to you like quizzes. quizzes. Well, you know, that is part of the argument, right? We talk about <laughs> active learning as yes. being, but, but like, let's, let's engage in this. Okay, so here's my question. You guys want to get better at the piano. And you have a choice. You can practice all your Bach on one day, all your Beethoven, or and, and you have single practice sessions, right? That are like an hour long. Should you do all Beethoven on one day, all Bach on another day, and all Mozart on another day, or each practice session, should you do a little of all three? Right. So that what first practice session, a little Mozart, a little Bach, which you, know, you have that. Well you sort I of know, <laughs> you sort of you sort of tipped us off. Yeah. Oh, well, I, I gave you the book, isn't it? That was my problem. <laughs> It's mix it up. Yeah. But Randy, as a learner, wouldn't you like to do all at once? Like, isn't, is that more your learning style? Like you like to focus? No. 
No. Okay. He's shaking his head now, but. But tell us why. Tell us yeah. why. Tell, tell you why. So, um, well, one, uh, to Lynn's point, most people do choose the, the blocked practice, right? Uh, overwhelmingly, students, at least left to their own devices, um, you know, a blocked practice. And, and when you look at, you know, I have a daughter who's uh, in third grade and, and the math worksheets come home, right? That we do a lot of blocked practice, right? She does all her fours, you know, she's learning her multiplication. She learns all her fours in one week. She learns all her fives in the next week. There's overwhelming amount of evidence going back to the 1970s, going all across different fields that, you know, mixing up your practice, right? Uh, mixing up your fours, your fives, and your sevens on multiplication. Uh, we've seen this in women's basketball training. We've seen it in higher order math. Uh, that This mixing up does a few things. One, it makes learning a little bit more active right you know it's so easy when you're like practicing piano or doing multiplication just to become rote um and then it also helps you understand a little bit more about the the deeper features so let me just explain this for a second psychologists like to talk about problems as kind of having surface and deep features and the more that you vary the surface feature the more you understand the deep feature so a little example of this is you know four plus four you could see it numerically right four plus four and it's like oh yeah answer is eight you know i'm not gonna quiz you on that lynn or you know if you were <laughs> I to mix gotten that one okay okay even even without knowing that your priests were perhaps listening in <laughs> i'm just saying so four plus four equals eight, you'd see it numerically, and then you'd have a word problem, right? Which, uh, you know, Johnny goes into the store and he has $4. Um, you know, that's mixing up the surface features. And that's why this interleaving can not only help us be more active uh, learners, right? Uh, make us pay more attention, make sure we don't get robotic, but also then see some of the, the deeper features, right? So if I was, uh, you know, practicing my basketball and I had the jump shot and the foul shot, you know, by mixing it up, I would have a better sense of, you know, that, that type of mess of memory. And what's fascinating about this idea, as I said, you know, it, it cuts across really any subject area. And yet we often want to block. It's just, you know, it's easier. It's like me giving a speech where I really want to like hold on to my notes. Yeah. And I'm, I'm making connections of good practice and chunking small activities in the classroom instead of doing the same thing for 40 minutes, or we even have 80 minute blocks in our high school. So, um, you know, it's easy have to make- Have you guys been breaking, breaking those up, the 80 minute blocks? Uh, teachers break them up. Yeah. We, and we started, um, when we made that transition, we did some, some professional learning and active learning strategies. And, um, you know, I think we still see some classrooms where it's not broken up as much as it should be, but this is putting into my mind, a great conversation to have with teachers about what would it look like if you were doing this and if you were yeah. making that choice. So, um, making some good connections there. So taking in the context of the world today and what futurists are sharing about the work and life and decades ahead and how things are, are changing and we're preparing students for um, you know, something beyond what we know right now, why is it important for us, more important than ever, that schools focus on developing people who can learn across the lifespan? We've heard this a lot, you know, careers are changing, the world is changing. You know, my favorite example of this, and I talk about this in the book, is, you know, I went to visit a, an economist at, at Harvard who really studied this uh, issue about how robots are taking our jobs and, you know, how the world of work is going to change dramatically. And, you know, he had written this book with another Harvard economist. And, you know, these, these are like, you know, these are supposed to be like the smartest guys on this <laughs> issue. And, you know, they made this prediction, uh, this was like 10 years ago, that they're, you know, driving a car was way too complicated for a computer, right? That no doubt uh, cars are going to take away, uh, you know, travel agents' jobs and, and maybe even restaurant jobs, but driving a car is, is too complicated. And as we know, right, they were totally wrong, right? We have self-driving cars now. 
And my point really is that even you know experts who um, are the people who are really aggressive about this issue are underestimating simply how fast it's occurring. And so what does that mean? I mean, I think some people often take this too far and think, oh, well, kids don't need to learn you know, facts. You know, facts still remain really important. My favorite uh, example uh, you know, on this, and, and Randy, given your last name, I'll ask you this question, you know, Morgen gefrühstückt? Right, which is German for, you know, did you eat breakfast this morning? Now you can, you know, on the other line, Google each one of those words as much as you want. Uh, but unless you really have fluency in them, right? Unless I don't even remember what the words were. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> my, uh, you know, it shows, I guess, my own fluency in, in German. But the point is this, right, is that facts remain for, for really any skill where you want to become an expert of some sort. You know, you, you need to have some basic grounding in the facts. Then the question is, you know, how do you get that richer, uh, higher order thinking that we all uh, like and I, I'm get really excited about higher order thinking. So happy to to delve more into that if if uh, you guys want to talk about it more. Yeah, I would love to talk about higher order thinking more. That's something that we've been having some conversation about too. Yeah, you know, if you spend a lot of time in education, I don't know if you guys have ever had this feeling. It's like, so wait, what is this higher order thinking stuff? Right? Like, I know what I know what rote is. Right? It's a question like, you know, what's the capital of Australia? Um, but like higher order thinking, I don't know. It's always frustrated me. And some experts have kind of come up with an idea for it. And I think it's really, at least for me, compelling and gives a, a concrete sense of what it is. And it's really analogical thinking, right? That uh, when we think in terms of systems and relationships, uh, we become much more, uh, uh, we gain that type of rich knowledge that allows us to solve problems, that allows us to uh, learn things in, in new ways. So, my favorite example of this is I don't know, do you guys know the, the uh, NPR show Car Talk? Does that mean anything to you guys? Heard of it, but not heard a, of it. Not ever. It's basically, listened. this never, never listened. This NPR show, and it was basically these two goofy guys, and they would solve car problems on the radio. <laughs> it was always this, it was this crazy thing, right? Like, people would call in and be like, I have this Buick, there's white smoke coming out of the place. And, like, it makes this weird noise, and then someone like, like make the noise. And, you know, it was funny. But like, it was crazy, like it would solve, like, I mean, imagine me just telling you right now, like I have a car outside and it makes this noise and then you would solve it. And like, <laughs> you don't even know the people, right? And what's crazy about it is that they solve it through analogies, right? Mm -hmm. They don't know what the person is like, they've never seen the car, but they've interacted with other Buicks. They've, you know, seen other cars that billow white smoke. And, you know, we can use this understanding of analogies, I think, to really give kids the knowledge that they need. And what's weird about analogies or systems thinking like that is that it's, it's hard, right? Analogies are like mm -hmm. complicated, they make us uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Some analogies work well, like when you're super familiar with them, like it cuts like a knife is a good analogy because you're like, oh, I, I know what a knife is. Uh, and then other analogies, right, like when we don't use them well, can be confusing and, and uh, you know, give us the wrong kind of uh, deep idea. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking about your idea of analogies and also thinking, you know, how do we help students understand all the different components to them and how do we provide some direct instruction or, you know, inquiry or discovery for students to really understand how some of those ideas transfer? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, it's funny, I feel like, you know, active learning or project-based learning, you know, like a lot of jargon education, you're like, I'm still not sure what this, you know, means. A lot of people talk about it. <laughs> Where I've come down on it is that I, I think it's very clear from the, you know, research that you see um, that, you know, at the beginning stages, students need a lot of help. They need direct instruction. It's easier to overwhelm, you know, working memory. And it's really, you, you want the project-based learning. You want those more uh, hands-on experiences sort of later in the process. And that's true for adult 
that's that's true for kids. Um, and I think often, you know, we, we mix up the, the process in that way. And, and then the active part of it, right, if we think active as like really sense making is something that needs to occur throughout, or at least that's the, the way I've, I've made sense of it. Have you guys struggled with that a lot or, or come to terms with it in, in, uh, in better ways? That's a good question. I think I probably would have to think on that. Um, I think it's probably not an area of strength for us. I think we probably have more rote and we're just transferring to the PBL and the knowledge skills and, and dispositions that that do provide more transference that you're talking about as, as you um, uncover analogies and the solutions within those. Yeah. Yeah. And I think where we, where we are at this point is getting the conversation started and talking a little bit about the why in terms of that future context and how the graduates who leave us are going to need to be able to do different things than maybe when I graduated or people even <laughs> older than me graduated. Um, so we're at the point of having, having those conversations and now it's, you know, starting the conversations around the how. So, yep. you know, the ideas in your book help to propel that conversation forward. In fact, we're even going to do a summer book study uh, on your book. So helping to expose our teachers to those ideas and really starting to think more about learning as something that is uniquely personal and it's not something that the system can do to somebody else. We don't... Yep. You know, so the old way of thinking about education is that we do learning to you, that if you follow these, yep. you know, sequence of courses and, you know, you'll get to the last day of your 12th grade and we will stamp you and, you know, certified to go out into the Done. world and Done. and be a learner. <laughs> and we're trying yeah. to shift that. And, and we're really at the beginning of that conversation. And, uh, you know, really, I think at the point of saying, okay, we understand why we need to do this and, a little bit about what it and how it's defined and yep. now how do we actually do this in the classroom so i think we're and it'll be interesting to see over the next several years how we how we evolve into that so that leads into the next question where we as school leaders are trying to lead this shift in how we frame learning what what suggestions would you have to leaders who are listening to this podcast in terms of leading this effort to reshape learning and and embracing some of the ideas that you have in the book about what learning actually is and how we can learn better. Yeah, that's it's a great great question. I mean, I, I think you know it depends on on which aspects you guys are really looking to move forward the most. I mean, if if really sort of that higher order thinking is really where you guys see the the best um, in the way that that you feel like your school leaders are, are moving forward in the best, right? I mean, it's really sort of, I think, walking people through, you know, what do we mean by rote learning? I mean, I think to a degree, right, rote learning has just become a, a catch-all for many things, but, you know, really, you know, learning facts in isolation, right? Um, so, you know, one example that I'd like to give is like, you know, you, you know what the temperature of the ocean is, right? And so that's a, it's a fact, often, could you know, could be helpful, um, but you know, really, the type of learning that we want is is relationships, is systems, and so you know, when you get into that, you'd want to know if the temperature of the ocean goes up, you know, what um, you know, you know that water expands, and when you know that 
water expands, that helps you understand why climate change can be so uh, hard on uh, coastal communities, right? Because if the ocean is uh, heating up and it's expanding, you know, our seas are going to get uh, higher. You know that uh, hot water produces vapor and that, you know, that type of vapor can go into thunderstorms and helps you understand why climate change could potentially have much more difficult uh, or um, uh, uh, dangerous storms. And so, you know, to me, it's, it's, I think, sort of walking, you know, you know, rote learning, you know, really it's, it's trying to move beyond having facts in isolation and really trying to think about systems and connections because that's, what's going to allow you to solve new problems, right? I mean, ultimately you were giving kids and, and even ourselves, right? We learn in order to be able to solve new problems, right? And if we're too rote, um, we don't. Another example of this is like even like learning how to change a tire on a car, right? I mean, I don't want to become like the world's expert in, in you know, changing a tire on a car, but I want to know at least enough that I could change it on my friend's car. I could change it on a new car. Like I just don't want to learn like the exact, you know, step-by-step process so I can solve it on, on my car, right? I want to have that, that transfer. And so what does that mean? It means, you know, having background knowledge. It means having some skills. It means having some theory, whether it's, you know, about uh, some skills right around, you know, tightening bolts or some theory around uh, uh, the basics of gravity. Uh, you know, and, and I, you know, in my mind, you can apply this in all sorts of ways. In the book, I tell kind of a goofy story where, you know, I got really fascinated with this idea of, you know, compare and contrast learning of pairs of systems. And, you know, there's a lot in the literature around math and history and science. So I took like a wine pairing class, right? So you could learn wine in a pretty rote way, which is like, you know, where are, um, you know, where is, you know, Cabernet uh, grown, you know, most frequently, right? That would be like an isolated fact. But instead, learning it as sort of, you know, why do the tendons in a red wine, uh, you know, contrast with sort of the fattiness of cheese? You know, why does a, a sweet wine go well with spicy food, right? Like, that's actually the type of learning that I would, well, I mean, besides drinking the wine, that would be the type of learning that I could use to really apply that knowledge, right? That would allow me to put together a dinner party and figure out if I should have champagne or not so as leaders this you're, you're thinking you're thinking i'm thinking about the champagne That's i'm that. thinking about champagne and strawberries <laughs> champagne and yeah um actually i really like the pomegranate seeds with champagne now so i don't know where that falls in with the fat content of cheese but yeah uh right but those would be two sweets right what is yes. it? i haven't had pomegranate seeds in, in a long time right but they're, they're a little like, tart though they're a little tart, little tart. but like let's just point out you know, Randy's, you know, probably scratching his head right now, but like we're talking about the relationship between two things and that's like more, that's like, that's a, that's a richer form of discussion, I would argue, than me just asking you, you know, where's champagne grown? Right. Yeah, no, great, great point. Well made. So you've had lots of opportunities to, um, to write and share your thinking and your connections um, and talk with people and, um, help us develop our, our knowledge and thinking. What's next for you? What are you working on right now, Ulrich? Uh, I'm thinking a lot about how we can get better curriculum. I just uh, feel like, like we've had these conversations about the Common Core, um, but sort of instructional materials, how can we get them, how can, how, we, how can we get them better? So that's that's sort of the, one of the main things I'm thinking a lot about right now. Do you guys have any thoughts? You've asked me a lot of questions. Yeah, we have a lot of thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> actually, I actually love how you're engaging us and asking questions too, because most people was, don't. That's awesome. I was just <laughs> uh, metacog- yeah, I was just reflecting on that as well, Randy. 
Maybe we well, can you get guys now have to answer the question though. I mean, giving <laughs> well, me compliments is not going to give you an excuse out of this, Randy. Well, we're we're thinking, can we negotiate like a foreword in your next book if we answer this question really well or something? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, I we I think we have a lot of ideas. It's starting at looking at where we want to go. And we I've identified this profile of a graduate for our students. So we've identified what we want our students to know to be able to do and what dispositions. Uh, we want a Salisbury graduate to have, and now we need to kind of back map and look at what do our courses and what does our instruction, both implicit and explicit, provide our students um, as a way to develop those skills, and are they developed in isolation, and how are they developed in isolation, and um, you know, how can we provide more opportunities for them not to be developed in isolation, and one of the ways that we're going forward with that is, you know, looking at project-based learning, and you know, what kinds of tasks and learning experiences are our students experiencing on a daily basis? And do those tasks and learning opportunities afford those experiences and the ability to develop and make connections outside of isolation? So, um, you know, right now we've pretty standard curriculum with documents that include big ideas and essential questions and core competencies and um, concepts and even some instructional practice project ideas, assessment ideas. So, um, we asked teachers to reflect on that curriculum and to identify areas um, for improvement and change. And, you know, we're just dipping our toe into thinking about how it could look different. I think one of the shifts that we've been making, though, is you've got this sort of institutional curriculum that the institution <laughs> says, this is what you need to learn and this is what you'll do. And while we still need some sort of structures, because we do want students to leave with certain sets of knowledge skills and be able to do certain things. How do we, how do we make that curriculum, that written curriculum honor more the individual learner because learning is very much done by the learner. And so yep. how does that curriculum reflect that shift as opposed to this traditional institutional idea of, you know, the institution keeps all the ideas, this font of knowledge and we will now, you know, open up your yep. head and put it inside. And yep. it's it's sort of our thinking is like around curriculum is how does that change? What elements do you keep of that? And what elements do you have to let go? Because yep. now we're shifting this whole way of looking at learning, that it's not yep. about the institution, it's about the learner. Yep. And, and most importantly, not everybody gets everything at the same time and gets everything the same. And, you know, we've been talking a lot about with Barbara Bray and, and some of her work about personalized learning um, and just starting to have that conversation. And, you know, we've talked with people about um, inquiry and we're having that conversation. So we have all these little like sidebar conversations that are going to play into this, this um, pretty significant shift. And yeah. all that has to happen while we somehow still meet the the state requirement and you know it's possible people are doing it and some people are doing it very successfully so um you know all these silo silo pieces of information we're trying to assimilate and and really develop something that we can do within within our constraints whatever they are um however they continue to exist but also be able to do more yep no that that makes a lot of sense i have to admit that sometimes i i worry about sort of project-based learning and sort of hands-on learning because without the proper instruction it can go i mean look i mean if i, I want to like learn to ride a bike um 
project-based learning would be, let's admit, like not a great way for me to like mm -hmm. figure out the beginnings or, or let me put it this way, right? There would be a lot of scraped knees. <laughs> and so, you know, when, when does, when does that type of, uh, and I want to say active learning because I think learning is always active, right? Which is why I like quizzes so much. Uh, but when is that kind of like, you know, hands-on experience uh, going to be important, right? It's after you've kind of developed some principles, some sense of where that break is, you know, uh, gotten that quirky feeling of, of balance that you need on, on a bike. Um, but clearly, you know, that, that aspect of hands-on learning has been lacking a lot and uh, can be, you know, really, really important. Yeah, that's a good point. And, and how does that tie into personalized learning? And your example of a bike is is a good one um, because not every kid's going to learn the same way. Not every child's going to take as long to learn. Some kids may have never seen a bike and some kids have yep. watched their older brothers and sisters with the bike. Yep. So, you know, that's a really good um, analogy to help us think about sort of where we are and where we want to go. Because right now everybody's, you know, reading about the bike, seeing the bike, um, you know, maybe taking a quiz on the bike parts, you know, just to give you an example of, of, you know, the, a shift that we need to make. And yep. some, some of us in our organization have already made that shift and have already started to move forward. And we have these pockets of innovation, but in other, in other cases, you know, we, we do have work to do. Yep. So we'll look forward to seeing how your work and curriculum, uh, these ideas, these inquiries that you have, how that develops. So We'll be sure to follow, follow you on that. Yeah, very exciting. Great. Very exciting. Well, thanks so much uh, for the time. I really appreciate it. Yeah, our, our pleasure. Fun. Thank thank you so much for joining us, Ulrich. And we will link to some of uh, your work in our show notes, uh, as well as your book. You can check out in the show notes Ulrich's uh, website, ulrichboser.com. You can check out the link to his book, Learn Better Guide for Students, Teachers, Parents, Policymakers, and um, the Learn Better infographic, which when Randy found that, he shared that we had a great conversation. <laughs> so if you don't do anything else, go online and check out that infographic um, that Ulrich has has developed. But check out the book too. Yeah, and the book yeah. too. You get the short uh, Well, in infographics are always a, a, a good entree. So check out the infographic. Absolutely. Thanks again. Thank you. Each right. episode, we leave you with a couple of questions to think about with the idea of provoking conversation. So this episode's questions include... Making connections to your own learning, what do you believe about learning after listening to today's podcast? How will you lead the conversation about shifts in learning in your school or district? If you've enjoyed today's episode, would like to comment or just find more resources and the links that we shared in today's episode, check out the show notes at tltalkradio.org and look for season three, episode 14. That's it for now. We'll see you next episode for a conversation with another innovative thought leader. Thanks again, Ulrich. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com forward slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. 
That's IXL.com forward slash B-E.